This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. everyone, and welcome to the Heartland Daily Podcast. This is Anne-Marie Schieber from Healthcare News. Now, here is a question you might ponder the next time you are in a hospital. Can you trust the doctor? I mean, is your doctor going to treat you in a way that is best for you, or does your doctor have to answer to another authority with an established protocol like like hospital corporations or private equity groups and whatever you know they're desiring to do. Um, it, this is not something many of us really thought about until COVID, and then we saw these hospitals deny treatments with drugs like ivermectin, even though their patients and their families and their family doctors asked for them. Um, my guest today is here to bring us some good news on this front. Twyla Brace is the founder and president of Citizens Council for Health Freedom. CCHF is based in Minnesota, which has been a difficult state for physicians to treat patients for COVID in the early stages of the disease. Um, Welcome. Always good to have you back, Twyla. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. All right. So tell us about this good news. It's in your state of Minnesota, the first ever trusted doctor bill in the country. What does it do? So what this uh, trusted doctor bill does is it says that patients have the right to have their trusted physician admit and treat them uh, during hospitalization. It means that hospital privileges to these doctors cannot be denied and that these doctors can come in and take care of the patients that they know have treated for a long time. And this is a, a security for the patients, a safety Uh, um, a safety bill for the patients because these doctors know them, these doctors care about them, and the patients trust them. And and that's what patients need. And during COVID, you really saw how patients wanted a doctor who cared about them and would help them, you know, to come into the doctor, but to come into the hospital, but they couldn't get that doctor in because the doctor was denied privileges and could not enter. Can you tell our listeners who don't know, what is the nature of hospital privileges? It's a process and you have to have permission to be able to treat in that hospital, whether or not the patient is your your patient or not. Yeah, that's correct. And so you have to be approved by the hospital. You're given privileges and then you can come in. You, uh, you then can access the electronic health record and you can do orders and then those orders have to be followed. But if you don't have privileges, you can't do any of that. And so you can come in and visit just like any other guest of the patient, any other family member, but you actually couldn't direct the care. You couldn't bring in consultants. You know, the power uh, to treat the patient is totally out of your hands unless you have been given privileges by the hospital administration. Now, I should say about this that this was never the case before because hospitals wanted every doctor possible to send their patients to the hospital. And so there was no such thing really as uh, privileges that would limit because uh, the hospitals wanted as much business as possible. But that has all changed in the era of, of managed care. 
Yeah, I mean, doctors who are skeptical <laughs> would, may not want their patients to go to the hospital and they, if they don't have privileges. I, you can understand that this is a really frightening thing. Um, what do you think, what is the prognosis for passage of this bill? So I do not believe it's going to pass in Minnesota because of our legislature. But the wonderful thing about this is it is a bipartisan bill in the Senate. So we have a Democrat and two Republicans on it, which shows the strength of the issue uh, a lot of legislators probably have heard from their constituents that of their frustration that they couldn't get a doctor to come in and do what they knew the patient wanted or the patient themselves couldn't get their own doctor to come in and order and give them what was going to potentially save their life. And so this is a bipartisan issue. And what we hope is that in other states, uh, this kind of legislation will move forward where it has a much uh, better chance of passing because of, you know, uh, who's in power in those states versus who's in power in Minnesota. Yeah, like my guess, Florida is going to have something very similar <laughs> very soon mm-hmm. or some of these <laughs> other states. All right. So this is, um, you know, talking about COVID and, you know, this is something that we didn't see just in, in Minnesota, but in other states where families had to actually go to court to allow their trusted physician to come in and administer. In many cases, it was ivermectin for advanced COVID. And and when they succeeded, um, you know, there was a case in Buffalo, New York. This patient, she was in her 80s, and she had a remarkable turnaround when she started getting that drug. And there were other cases. Um, tell us, when did this hospital behavior really start to change? I mean, you mentioned that a little bit earlier, but I mean, this refusal to do what patients and their families desired, uh, desire, what, what has been driving that? It really, be, it's, it started uh, with managed care and, you know, having to do prior authorization, but it really got going once the Affordable Care Act passed because the Affordable Care Act established a shared savings program and, um, and a new entity called an accountable care organization. And if a hospital sets itself up as an accountable care organization and saves the government money, then the government essentially will pay them back part of the savings. So they can get a kickback, as it were, from the government if they save the government money. And so a hospital that allows any doctor to come in and take care of their own patients cannot control that doctor like they can control a doctor that the hospital employs itself. And so that's what happened is the hospital started saying, we're going to employ our own physicians. Those are called hospitalists. And we are going to say that in particular, primary care doctors and internists are not going to be allowed to admit to the hospital and they're not going to be allowed to come into the hospital. We will let specialists come into the hospital because, you know, every doctor is not an orthopedist or a renal, uh, you know, a renal specialist or a cardiologist, right? But we won't let the doctors that most people have, which are primary care and insurance, we won't let them come in because we can't control, um, we can't control expenses as well if they come in. And that's how this all happened because the hospitals are looking for the kickback from the government, looking to save money and therefore get part of the savings back so that they can, their whole idea here is just to control everything that happens in the hospital in hopes of getting that money. 
But wow. that, of course, puts, yeah. puts the hospital at a conflict of interest with the patients. Oh, absolutely. Um, I also wanted to ask you about, you know, we, we do also live in a litigious era. And, um, you know, could hospitals defend these actions by simply saying they're trying to look out for their own liability uh, by setting up protocols that might protect them in a lawsuit? Well, anybody can say anything. But for the, you know, for the last, since a first hospital ever began, right? Yeah. Uh, doctors have come in with their, their licensed doctors, right? They're, they can prescribe, uh, you know, anybody can sue anybody. But this idea that only certain doctors can be doing care in hospitals, uh, that has been a, a very short duration. Yeah. You know, I don't think that that's legitimate, but anybody can argue anything. Sure. Okay. Now you did mention ACOs, but I wanted to ask you about this other um, trend that seems to be emerging, which is, um, you know, there was an op-ed in the Washington Examiner this week about the growth of private equity in healthcare. And, you know, especially among many health professional specialty specialty, uh, practices, in big cities that work for these entities, it's probably the same thing because they're all now, um, they all are tied to metrics and keeping the bottom line, uh, which which may not necessarily be what's best for the patient. Do you see this trusted doctor movement uh, having some tentacles where there might be perhaps a, a patient bill of rights where, you know, the treating doctor has to have a fiduciary duty towards the patient. Yeah, I think this is a problem that the whole medical system is being corporatized, right? It's so, you know, one of the things that I like to say is that the mission of medicine has been taken over by the business of healthcare, and this is not good for the patients. It's not good for the doctors either. And so everybody... Uh, all the corporations out there are seeing this opportunity to seize this money-making um, business because everybody needs healthcare. Everybody's going to get sick. Everybody's going to die, right? And so they have been given this power to essentially seize physician practices and tie the hands of doctors. And so, I, you know, I think this is one of the reasons why our organization is uh, working to build a parallel system called, uh, we're calling it the new framework for health freedom. And with uh, starting with the wedge, the wedge of health freedom at jointhewedge.com. This is where we're trying to call doctors back to private practice. So there's a new survey out that found that 74% of physicians are employees today. Employees, wow. Wow. which means that they do not work for the patient; they work for their employer, right? This is this is bad for medicine, bad for patients, bad for good and ethical care. And so we really have to move in a different direction. And physicians, most physicians, don't really like this because this is not what they studied for. It's not why why they spent 15 years of their life going to school to have other people who don't know and don't see patients tell them what to do when they see patients. Tell us, what is the wedge? Tell us about this project. So the wedge wedge of health freedom is the foundation of our new parallel system, which we're calling the new framework for health freedom. So the wedge is essentially a nationwide directory of cash-based direct pay practices. So cash-based, confidential, patient-centered, interference-free care 
And so these are the uh, practices, but also we've got four pharmacies. We just started to get dentists. We have one surgery center, um, but we are eventually working our way to actually, we want to have hospitals because this would be a fully parallel system. You know, calling doctors out of the corporate system, the dangerous corporate system, calling uh, patients out of the dangerous corporate system and back to real insurance, which is medical indemnity insurance that pays the patient. Then the patient takes that money. Everybody knows about how much money they're going to get, prices their care accordingly, and then the patient picks the doctor and the hospital uh, of their choice and doesn't have any third parties interfering. But importantly, the prices won't be anything like they are today because there won't be all this reporting to the government. There won't be all this reporting to the health plans. There won't be all this interference, prior authorization, retroactive utilization review, all of these things that have made healthcare expensive, most of it having nothing to do with the care itself. So we have overpriced uh, care or you know higher prices for the delivery of care than are necessary because they have to pay for all of this third-party interference and requirements. So that's the wedge is the place to find the new framework for health freedom. And we're working at the state and federal level to do some of the legislative pieces that would make it easier for hospitals to actually, cash-based hospitals to actually exist. So there's some work here, but we're, we're, we're well, just last week, we brought in about 20 new practices from all over the country. So we're building it. Oh, that's great. And this would be such a hit with the public. You know, if there was like a, an easy to access directory of, of places you can trust, you know, that aren't going to, that are going to answer to you and not these third parties, I think that would be a huge hit and I wish you all the best with it. That's just a great idea. Um, Twyla, before I let you go, you're also very active on HIPAA, a widely misunderstood concept in our healthcare system, but we're all familiar with it because we all have to sign those forms when we see a doctor. Um, you are, you've been working on this because, um, you know, patients, like I said, misunderstand it. It really gives people authority to access your private data and not prevent your privacy. So can you tell us what's the latest on this front? Yes, well, it is the 20th year of the HIPAA no privacy rule uh, being uh, taking effect. So it took effect in April of 2003. So it's 20 years. And so we are going to spend the month of April with a new campaign called Exposing HIPAA, the Deliberate Deception. And so we will spend the entire month telling people the truth about HIPAA through our radio minutes through uh, videos that we'll have online and through uh, a brand new video that we spent um, at the Minnesota State Fair, we did a man on the street video. So we asked people, what, what do you think about HIPAA? What do you know about HIPAA? And you'll be able to see from watching that video how people have no idea what HIPAA really is and what they thought once we actually told them what it is. And so it is our intent that we will eventually undo HIPAA and bring back real privacy rights, uh, whether state by state or at the federal level. But we must do this because this is the only way we gain control of what happens in the exam room, because privacy is the, the foundation of freedom. And while HIPAA exists, all sorts of outsiders can control what happens in the exam room. So we 
we really must get back our privacy and consent rights. Oh, yeah. And and we're, we're going through a mental health crisis. And I wonder if people are just super afraid of saying anything to their doctors because it's going to make end up on some record somewhere and could maybe come back to harm you in the future. So all of this is great stuff. And um, yeah, we'll uh, keep us posted on how both of those things are going. We'll, we'll be watching for this wedge um, project and uh, certainly we'll be looking out for your HIPAA information in the month of April. Thank you so much. We've run out of time. It's always a pleasure. I learned so much from you every time you come on the podcast, Twyla. It's just great to talk to you. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Twyla Brace is uh, the founder and president of Citizens Council for Health Freedom, and I will include a link uh, to their organization in the podcast notes. And thank you, uh, listeners, for tuning in. I mean, if you're not already, we invite you to become a regular subscriber because we always have terrific guests like Twyla. And uh, it's a, just a great way of staying informed on uh, healthcare markets, free markets, and, and we do other topics as well on the podcast. So um, all really good things, um, you know, to learn how we can keep out of the clutches of big government control. This is Anne-Marie Schieber.